0: meekness. A difficult attribute to recognize, it is found in the relationship between man and God, not between man and man. To be meek is to follow the Lord's will, even when one doesn't want to do so, even when it brings one into conflict with friends, family, or community. Meekness is measured as between the servant and the Lord, not as between the servant and his critics. Meekness, among other things, involves a conscious effort to avoid harming or offending others. It requires an absence of pride or self-will. It is not insistent upon being recognized or applauded. It denotes a willingness to suffer without complaint. Others may never recognize the meek because meekness does not vaunt itself nor demand notice. There is great freedom in meekness. It relieves the meek from the burden of seeking their acclaim. It gives them the security of feeling God's approval for their course of living. It is private. Meekness means a person voluntarily restrains himself and uses the absolute minimum control or authority over others. It is related to humility. Humility is voluntary submission to the control or power of God, in other words, obedience. Meekness affects a person's relationship with his fellow man. There is nothing showy or attention-grabbing about the meek. Instead, they are content to know they have a relationship and power with God. Unless God requires something to be done or revealed, the meek do not voluntarily put this authority on display. Melchizedek And this Melchizedek, having thus established righteousness, was called the king of heaven by his people, or, in other words, the king of peace. And he lifted up his voice, and he blessed Abram, being the high priest, and the keeper of the storehouse of God, him whom God had appointed to receive tithes for the poor. Wherefore, Abram paid unto him tithes of all that he had, of all the riches which he possessed, which God had given him, more than that which he had need. And it came to pass, that God blessed Abram, and gave unto him riches, and honor, and lands for an everlasting possession, according to the covenant which he had made, and according to the blessing wherewith Melchizedek had blessed him. Genesis 7 Paragraphs 20-22 In 1844, the Churchill newspaper identified Shem as Melchizedek. Joseph Smith explained that Melchizedek was not an earthly king, nor did he reign over a population. Melchizedek is not a name but a title. It is a compound of two words. The first is Malki. Malki Meaning king. And Zadok. Zedek Meaning righteous. Malkitsedek or Malkizedek. Malkitsedek. Can mean righteous king or king of righteousness. As a comparison, the Dead Sea Scrolls portray their teacher of righteousness as more zedek. Joseph Smith asked, What was the power of Melchizedek? It was not priesthood of Aaron, etc., but it was the power of a king and a priest to the Most High God. A perfect law of theocracy holding keys of power and blessings stood as God to give laws to people, administering endless lives to the sons and daughters of Adam. Melchizedek was a king, and he was a high priest of the Most High God after the order of the Son of God, that is a king and a priest. It is both a name title and a new name given to Shem. Christ is the great king and the great high priest. The name Melchizedek is really a name title belonging to Christ. It was given to Shem because he was a worthy disciple of the Lord. The name title became the designation of priesthood. It was used as a substitute for the frequent repetition of the Son of God. The great priest Melchizedek is admired so much that the priesthood was renamed after him because he was the last one to accomplish Zion. But when one examines carefully why Melchizedek qualified to obtain the priesthood, one discovers it was because he by faith quenched the violence of fire, he subdued lions, by faith he achieved all these things, not by priesthood. By faith. Melchizedek's city of peace came because those who heard him repented. They were taken into heaven by their repentance. They, like Enoch's city, will return in the last days. The wicked will not survive their return. The next time there is a place where people of righteousness are taught and gathered, it will no longer be taken up to heaven. Instead, it will allow Enoch's and Melchizedek's people to return. A holy city must be prepared to welcome that return. See also the glossary entry, Salem. Melchizedek Priesthood A form of priesthood Joseph Smith believed was conferred by the voice of God upon a recipient, see Genesis 7, paragraph 18. It does not descend by birth, but by the will of God. It holds the responsibility for administering spiritual blessings. First promised to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery by John the Baptist, it was conferred by the voice of God for the first time at a conference in June 1831. Despite the evidence, the LDS Church believes it was restored by Peter, James, and John sometime between May 16 to 28, 1829. The LDS Church claims to be able to transfer this authority by the laying on of hands, and therefore claims to have spread it throughout their adult male population. Until 1978, LDS Mormons refused to confer this priesthood on males of black African descent, but they changed their policy at that time and now ordain all worthy males. At a conference on June 3, 1831, a revelation to Joseph directed that 23 attendees were to be ordained to this heavenly priesthood. At the time of the conference, it was called High Priesthood but later would be called Melchizedek Priesthood. Joseph Smith said, all priesthood is Melchizedek, but there are different portions or degrees of it. That portion which brought Moses to speak with God face to face was taken away, but that which brought the ministry of angels remained. All the prophets had the Melchizedek priesthood and were ordained by God Himself, teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, pages 180-181. When viewed not as a name but as a title, Melchizedek is a compound of two words, Malchi, King and Zadok, righteous, which means and is a reference to the King of Righteousness, who is Jesus Christ, who possesses all priesthood. Melchizedek priesthood or the priesthood of the King of Righteousness, viewed in this light, is the authentic holy order after the order of the Son of God. Melchizedek priesthood is the priesthood of Jesus Christ. It is an association with the Son of God. This complete Melchizedek priesthood comprehends the Aaronic or Levitical priesthood and is the grand head, and holds the highest authority which pertains to the priesthood, the keys of the kingdom of God and all ages of the world to the latest posterity on the earth, and is the channel through which all knowledge, doctrine, the plan of salvation, and every important truth is revealed from heaven, TNC 140, paragraph 2. The Melchizedek priesthood is given for blessing and giving life. If someone claims to hold Melchizedek priesthood, but he uses it to judge, condemn, control, compel, and assert authority over the souls of men, then it is a sign he holds no such authority. The office, the authority, and the keys of the Melchizedek priesthood are given by God to man to bless, to enlighten, and to raise one up by bringing light and truth, which is the glory of God or intelligence. See also the glossary entries Melchizedek. Holy Order. Mercy. Tenderness of heart which disposes a person to overlook error. If you want mercy from the Lord, you must give it to your fellow man. If you do not show mercy to your fellow man, the Lord cannot provide it to you. There is a law which binds the Lord to the same standard you set for yourself. It is an irrevocable law. Therefore, the Lord teaches us to show mercy so that we might merit mercy we are the final beneficiaries of all the mercy we show to others. It really is true that that which ye do send out shall return unto you again, Alma 19, paragraph 11. This is called karma in another faith. It is a true principle. Perhaps it operates within a larger time frame than just this life, but it operates, nonetheless. Alma knew the truth and was teaching it to his son. Ministering Angel ministering angels are an indispensable part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why those keys were restored so early on in this dispensation and are so widely disseminated into the LDS Church membership. See Joseph Smith History Part 14, Paragraph 1. There is a system by which men learn the mysteries of heaven and are saved. That system is set out in Alma 9, Paragraph 7. First, angels are sent to prepare men and women. Second, they are allowed to behold the Lord's glory. Third, they converse with the Lord, at which point they are taught the things that have been prepared from the foundation of the earth for their salvation. All of this is driven by the man or woman's faith, repentance, and holy works. This is in keeping with Joseph Smith's revelation about those chosen to become a member of the Church of the Firstborn. They are chosen by the holy angels, to whom the keys of this power belong. Paragraph 8. If this isn't happening, then faith does not exist on the earth any longer. See Moroni 7. Paragraph 7. Angels minister to chosen vessels or mortal messengers, as the three Nephites did with Mormon and Moroni. See Mormon 4. Paragraph 2. Then these vessels testify and bear testimony so that the way is prepared that the residue of men may have faith in Christ. Moroni 7. Paragraph 6. These three visited with Mormon. But the people to whom Mormon ministered didn't see them. They ministered to Moroni, and those to whom Moroni ministered didn't see them. The chosen vessels also become as ministering angels. Heaven's chosen vessels may seem most unlikely. In the cases of Alma the Younger and Saul of Tarsus, they were wicked when they were chosen. Yet both would later become ministering servants who preached righteousness to the residue of men. Many people have received ministering angels. Men, women, and children have, can, and do receive angelic ministers. See Alma 16, paragraph 26. When they minister to a man or a woman, it is to enable them, the ones being ministered to, to testify and help others to likewise have faith in Christ. Angels minister to those with faith, who are supposed to then preach salvation to others. See also the glossary entry, Angel more sure word of prophecy. The testimony from Jesus, promising eternal life. Christ provides it. It is in this sense that the testimony of Jesus is used in Scripture. It is not something one possesses, speaks, or bears to another. It is something Christ delivers by his own voice, Christ testifies. Hence the phrase the testimony of Jesus. All those who seek His glory will need to acquire His testimony to them that they are saved. They must acquire His Word. Now for the secret and grand key, though they might hear the voice of God and know that Jesus was the Son of God, this would be no evidence that their election and calling was made sure, that they had part with Christ, and were joint heirs with Him. They then would want that more sure word of prophecy, that they were sealed in the heavens and had the promise of eternal life in the Kingdom of God. Then, having this promise sealed unto them, it was an anchor to the soul, sure and steadfast. Though the thunders might roll and lightnings flash, and earthquakes bellow, and war gather thick around, yet this hope and knowledge would support the soul in every hour of trial, trouble and tribulation. Then knowledge through our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ is the grand key that unlocks the glories and mysteries of the Kingdom of Heaven. The more sure word of prophecy means a man's knowing that he is sealed up unto eternal life by revelation and the spirit of prophecy, through the power of the holy priesthood. Mormon Before I give a definition however, to the word Mormon, let me say that the Bible in its widest sense, means good, for the Savior says according to the Gospel of John, I am the Good Shepherd. And it will not be beyond the common use of terms to say that good is among the most important in use, and though known by various names in different languages, still its meaning is the same and is ever in opposition to bad. We say from the Saxon, good. The Dane, god. The Goth, goda. The German, gut, The Dutch, goad. The Latin, bonus. The Greek, kalos, The Hebrew, tobe. the egyptian moan hence with the addition of more or the contraction mor we have the word mormon which means literally more good most holy hebrew kudesh most holy does not mean very holy it means actively holy imparting holiness compare to exodus 14 paragraph 5 exodus 16 Paragraphs 2 and 5, and Leviticus 2, paragraph 4. The Law of Moses prescribed the death penalty for a variety of offenses. One of the ways to avoid the execution of the penalty was to go to one of the safe harbor cities. Another way was to come in contact with the altar, because the altar was considered most holy. Things that are most holy communicate holiness. One cannot profane them. If one comes in contact with something that is most holy, while he or she is unholy, they don't make it unholy. The altar, or the thing that is most holy, makes them holy, because it is most sacred. Part of the rites in the temple are intended to communicate to you things that are most holy. They are intended to make you holy. They are intended to make you a suitable recipient for an audience. They are intended to make you a suitable companion for a walk down a dusty road with the Risen Lord who is trying to get you to notice exactly who it is that speaks to you. Mothers Mothers who minister to their children in patience and love will undoubtedly be among those whom the Lord will remember in the final day. The first parable, the busy young man, is about those little acts through which one finds their Lord. The weathered tree is about the enduring power of a mother's love and how, like the Lord's own sacrifice, this often underappreciated calling has been and continues to be a lifetime of service. Mothers oftentimes do not take time to study because they are too busily engaged in the actual work of charity, love, and service. Some may not be able to construct a scripture-based explanation or exposition but they recognize truth by the light that has been acquired within them by their fidelity to the Lord's system of conferring light and truth. I have been far more impressed with mothers in Zion than with the tattered remains of what is now called Zion by the Gentiles. Mutual agreement. In response to prayers and pleadings, the Lord answered with a definition of mutual agreement, as used in the answer to prayer for covenant, this way as between one another, you choose to not dispute. TNC 174, Paragraph 1. Simply put, even if men or women disagree, if they choose to not dispute, they have mutual agreement. Pray together in humility and together meekly present your dispute to me, and if you are contrite before me, I will tell you my part. TNC 157, Paragraph 54. When the definition was given, it was accompanied by the realization the Lord could have disputed every day of his life with someone. He deliberately chose to not contend. He was not an argumentative personality. As between one another, that is, every one of us because every one of us is involved in a relationship with one another, you choose to not dispute. Mind you, Christ could have disputed, he could have corrected, He could have challenged every one of the ongoing religious and social conventions of his day. How much of the Gospel of Christ would not have been possible for him to preach if he'd gone about contending? He chose not to. In that respect, perhaps his most godly example was the patience with which he dealt with those around him, kindly, patiently, correcting them when they largely came to him with questions trying to trap him but affirmatively stating in the Sermon on the Mount how you could take any group of people and turn them into Zion itself, if we would live the Sermon on the Mount. See also the glossary entry, Contention.